0: But uh, we we had a kind of interesting All Hallows Eve uh, weekend, and so my wife and I actually got to go to Six Flags. You may not, you probably have not been to Six Flags lately. I, I I would most people I know are not going to Six Flags all the time, but there were still a lot of people at Six Flags. Okay, so you're like, hey, there's a lot. I'm glad there's six feet between us. So I don't know what was happening. There's a lot of people there. Okay, so we all had our masks, and it was great. Um, But uh, I haven't been to Six Flags in a long time, and and when we went, one, it's just crazy because it's Halloween weekend, and so I'm like, you're making this place look exactly the opposite of a place I'd want to be at. You know, there's like skeletons everywhere and like so many fog machines. It was amazing how much fog there was. I just spent the whole time kind of just trying to figure out where I was at in the park. Um, but it's just my wife and I, no kids. Uh, we met, a, a good friend of mine had just com- finished writing a book, and so it was a celebration. They chose where we were going, so we went, and we said, we're going to... We're going to celebrate with you and go, go to Six Flags in all well places. And uh, I don't know when the last time you've been on a roller coaster is. It's been a while for me. I, it's probably at least a decade since I've been on an actual roller coaster. And so when you get, you, you know, you go in and you wait for 45 minutes for a 45-second ride, and... Um, and you get and you get kind of strapped in i we went on the batman ride which constantly, you know incidentally has nothing to do with batman like there's no factor in the ride that has like you know some element of batman other than some minor decorations you know i'm like it's just a roller coaster we're calling it batman you know and that's cool uh, but you know you you get in there and you you put on this harness and then somebody comes by and they click you in and um which is ho- hopefully a redundancy, right? You know, um, but there, you know, there you get locked in and it and it's pressed down on you, and uh, I'm always like pulling it a little bit too tight. I'm like, I want it to be really snug, you know, because you take off and then you're you're just going up the little click 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 click, and then you're just getting whipped around. This ride in particular, you just start going down and up, and it turns you to the side, and I'm like. I really was like, this is just a test for my inner ear status, like, is something, am I going to be able to walk after this, you know, and, um, man, it was interesting, because I was at one moment at an angle where I was looking, I think, I think it was mainly down, you know, actually, because I saw the ground, and I was like, the ground's really far away, and all of my weight was on this harness, you know, and, uh, I was like, you know, I'm like not a small guy, and so I was like, I don't, what could I slide, like kind of slip through this thing, like kind of turn into Jello and just, you know, squirt right through this, because that, that would end me, you know, that would be the end, would be from here to the, to the ground, you know, and it's pretty far, right, with some other rails and tracks in the way that seems like that would be just an ugly, way to go, you know, but but you're staring, I was just staring right at the ground, and I was like, everything is riding on this harness you know, that I'm wearing. Everything was riding on the harness. And so um, the the question in a sense that was just on my mind for us from the text this morning is just what is it that all of your weight is really on? What are you leaning on this morning with your life? Like your life, whether you really recognize it or not, and most times we don't. Most times we're kind of operating, we're making decisions, kind of going about our day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year, And momentarily, you might get a glimpse of what it is that you're really leaning on, okay? And what I mean is, is what do you have faith in, right? Uh, I have a friend, and whenever we would go anywhere together, we'd be—I can remember very clearly—we were at an airport. Okay, we were flying to Branson, Missouri, which is um, like—it's not a big airport, so there's not a lot of people. We're flying back from Branson, and so we're in this airport, and. He turns to the people next to us, and he just meets these people. You know, they're sitting next to us, and, you know, they're talking, and he asks them if they have a faith. And that question was just, that's just all the time. If you're around this guy, it's all the time. Hey, do you have, do you have a faith? You know, if, you're, if he meets a new person or is getting to know a person, the question they he asks is, do you have a faith? And it's an interesting question, right? I don't know how you would answer that this morning, um, but it is both not intimidating. It's not, it's, not, it doesn't, it's not a leading question in the sense that, like, I'm telling you the faith that I want you to have. Like, I'm just asking, do you have a faith? Um, so it's not that intimidating, but it is very much to the point, right? This is a, you, all of a sudden you can know that we're in a somewhat of a spiritual conversation. And it was always interesting to hear people respond, the way that they would respond to him. And, uh, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but it was a trick question, what people, don't, people don't realize that, and oftentimes if you ask somebody that, it's, it's not, you know, don't do a gotcha moment with them. Uh, but it is a trick question because everyone does have a faith. That's the, that's the reality is that no matter what you come up with, and a lot of people would say, oh, no, no, I, you know, I don't go to church. Like that, that would be their response is say, oh, no, I don't have a faith. it's a trick question because you do. Everybody has a faith. Everybody's leaning on something. Everybody has harnessed themselves into this roller coaster of life with something. It's just a matter of what that thing is. And not surprisingly, the Bible makes a big deal of faith. The Bible makes a big deal about faith. It's, it talks about faith in a really, like, like, it, like it matters, okay? So it's just like, shouldn't be surprising. We're like talking about, uh, we're, you know, this is a sermon from the Bible, and we're talking about the Bible We're here at church, and so it's like, hey, faith is a big deal. You're like, okay, bro, we could have skipped that. We're like six minutes into this thing, so thanks for telling me what I already knew. Uh, but but it, it is, it's a big deal. Romans 14, 23, the end of that verse says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. No, so anything in your life that doesn't come out of faith is sin. And sin is just thoughts, attitudes, or actions that reject or rebel against God. So everything that you're not doing that is in faith, that's not in faith, is sin. It's like a, it's, it's one or the other. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, please God. For whoever, whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.1, one, earlier in that passage, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So if you're hoping for something, what is your assurance that you're going to receive that hope? That's what your faith is in. And I know it can get like really churchy and really kind of like uh, religious and spiritual all of a sudden when you think about faith, but it's what are you, what are you really hoping for in your life? What are you banking on to get you that? That's what you're leaning on. That's what your faith is in. And so are you living by faith today, walking in here? Yes, you are. But faith in what? Does the life, another question I was just having today for you is, does the life that you are living right now require you to have faith in God? Are you doing anything? Are you living a life right now in which faith is necessary for any of the activity of your life. Faith in God. You have faith in something, but is it faith in God? Are you living by faith? Yes, you are. But faith in what? And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today, is what this life of faith, what somebody who had a life full of faith, what that was Looking like, And so the complexity in, in Acts, where we're at in the book of Acts, which is what we're studying, Acts chapter 6, um, is uh, th- there's this complexity that's growing in the early Christian community because the number of people are growing. Whenever more people show up, there's more complexity. There's more people here today than there were weeks before, okay? And so there's more complexity necessary, or there's more complexity in how do we seat people, how do we take care of people, how do we make sure that we are serving people well. There's just more complexity when there's more numbers, and um, in the complexity of the early church, there was a group of people that was being neglected, okay? It was these Hellenistic, uh, uh, the Hellenistic Jews were saying, hey, the widows that are from our community are not being served in the same way that the uh, Hebrew Jew widows are. And so um, they set up this uh, office in the early church. They said, hey, let's pick out seven guys, and we're going to appoint them to take care of this uh, neglect that's happening. And so... Uh, that, that's how we get this description of this guy named Stephen, okay? And so Stephen was one of these, the, you, a lot of people look at him and say these are the first deacons, the people who are serving the church. It's the first set of deacons that we see in the Bible. And um, and Stephen is the first one listed among those deacons. And um, he's actually the only one that gets really much, much airtime. And it's just that he gets a description after his name if you look in Hebrews. Or in, uh, Acts chapter 6, and uh, it says that he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know Stephen, he's like, hey, how are we going to describe this guy Stephen? He's full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And so he is a man who is full of faith. Now we're saying everybody's living by faith. He's living by faith in God. He's living by it. He's walking by it. His life is full of it. His life had a specific hope and a specific conviction, a life full of faith. And I want you to see this morning that his life of faith led him to three things. It led him to an accusation, it led him to answer that accusation, and then it led him to an alternate ending. So those all start with A, because I want you to remember that. Okay, (laughs) Um, And so he was accused, he answered, and he had an alternate ending. And that's how the text that we're working through, it's a, it's a big chunk of text and so we're not going to read all every bit of it, but we will read some of it. So if you start in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we're going to look at this accusation that was made against Stephen as he's living a life full of faith. Okay, So Steve, it says this, and Stephen, full of grace and power, he's, he's also full of a lot of things. So he's full of grace and power, wisdom, the Holy Spirit, and faith. Okay, So he's, he is a vibrant person. And uh, but Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses." and God. Okay, so you get, you get this picture of Stephen. First he gets recruited because he's going to be part of this kind of problem-solving crew for the early church and, and serving people, but then he goes on and he's doing just amazing things with his life. He's doing great things. He's doing uh, great wonders and signs, which kind of aligns, the wording really lines up with what the apostles were doing. Okay, which is unique because he is a Hellenistic Jew. He's somebody who's been living amongst the Gentiles coming back into Jerusalem is what the picture that we get of him is. And so we, we see that he's back, um, uh, somebody who's, who is kind of outside of the normal realm of people doing these great signs and wonders, but he's doing them. He's doing great things, but it's also clear that he is saying things. He's not simply just doing things. He is saying things. Uh, and, and you can see that because he, you know, these, these folks are from this particular synagogue, which is a synagogue of these Hellenistic Jews. It's going to come back and we'll talk about what that looks like. But it's all these, these folks that, they, that he lists out. And, and, he, and he says they want to dispute with Stephen about something. They've got beef with something that he is saying, not with something that he's doing, something that he's saying. And, um, uh, and, and, and they can't really argue with him. Like they can't win. Whenever they are like, but Stephen, what about this? He's got an answer for them. But Stephen, what about that? Why are you saying this? He's got an answer for them. And he's full of the Spirit. He's able to respond to them. He's got wisdom, and he's full of the Spirit. And so they, they, they're going to distort what he's saying in order to attack him. So they got a plan. They're like, we got to stop this guy from saying what he's saying. We don't like what he's talking about. Um, and I think what they, the way that they distort what he's saying is actually what they really believed he was saying is, is what I think about this moment. It's neither here nor there if they, if they were purposefully distorting it or if it's really just what they believed. Um, but I think it reveals their hearts. If you look at what they say about him, what their beef is with him, do you see it? They, said, um, they instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words. Those are dishonoring words, slanderous words. Against who? Moses and God. Now, that to me is just a super weird order of things to put this in. And it's, it's a strange combination. To even talk about blaspheming or slandering Moses is an interesting concept. But particularly that they put it in this order. Our beef is that he's talking bad about Moses and God. And so uh, it's, it's revealing, I think, of actually their hearts. Now, it's a massive understatement to say that Moses is a big deal to the Jewish people. He, he, he's a big deal to Christians, too, but not anywhere near uh, the big deal that he is to the Jewish people, okay? And, um, and so he was a prophet. But he's, he's even more than that. A prophet is somebody who would communicate to a group of people on behalf of God. So it's a pretty big job to, you know, pretty big job to have. Um, but he was also a lot more than that. He was somebody who received and then delivered the law. Okay? The law are these Old Testament commands which really made up the whole entire way of life for the Jewish people. And it was the means by which they could become acceptable to God. That, like that's important. This law that Moses was the one who received, Moses was the one who delivered. He was the mediator of the law. How they had a claim upon God. The only way that we can claim anything from God is through this law, is what they believed. And then he also received the instructions for the tabernacle, which was made more permanent through the temple. Okay, the tabernacle was this tent of meeting in the wilderness that the Jewish people had, where God's presence would descend upon it. and it was it was this this tabernacle presence that was basically heaven on earth, the best of all places that they could not enter into apart from this high priest to make sacrifices. And so you can see their specific issue with Stephen more so when they when it describes the false witnesses that they got for him in the trial that they instigated. So you keep reading verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never spe- ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So if you look at this accusation and what they're actually trying to get him accused of through the lens of faith, you can see maybe a little bit more of like what the big deal is for the Jews here. Well, first of all, they're Hellenistic Jews like Stephen, Jews that were so passionate about the temple being the locale of worship, the temple being the center point of life for the Jewish people. They were so passionate about it that they came back to Jerusalem. Okay, so these are people that had been spread out into other lands, other places, living in other cultures, and they said, hey, we're coming back. They're Greek-speaking Jews, okay? So they don't even know Hebrew in the same way. They read it in through a particular translation of the Old Testament into Greek, but they say, hey, we believe that this is the place where everything goes down. This place is really important. And they wanted to worship God. I really think they did. And then... Uh, To them, the means by which they were even able to worship God with a clean conscience was their obedience to the law. And so Stephen is talking about Jesus to them. And Jesus poses a big problem to both of these things. Because Jesus says the temple is not the center of worship. I am. And the law can't help you earn acceptance to God. I can. So you see how now... So Stephen's declaration of only just what, who Jesus is and what he came to do is incredibly offensive to these Jewish people. Do you see that? And so that's the accusation that's being made against him, is that he's blaspheming God, that he's blaspheming Moses, that he's undercutting and trying to unravel all of this Old Testament truth. And so this leads him to answer, Okay. And and the picture that you get of him is not one where he's like, he's like, you know, on the other side of a debate line and he's just, you know, gritting his teeth and he's just like, you know, really wanting to chew these guys out. You don't get that picture of him. It says when they looked at him, it looked like he had a face like an angel. He had this poise and confidence that's like just heavenly about him. And with that poison confidence, he responds. And I'm not gonna read all of it because it's literally the longest speech in all of the book of Acts, okay? So we probably could just read through that and then call it a day. And so it's pretty long and it it recounts like so much of Israel's history. If you want to actually understand the the narrative plot line of the Old Testament, you could just read this speech and he gets you most of the way there. Okay, But he makes two main points, and that's what I want, I want you to see, the two main points that he's trying to make. Because you can read this, and you might miss it. Like I read it a bunch of times trying to figure out, what is, what is he really getting at here? Why is he responding this way to these accusations? And what he, he takes you down a long, winding road in some ways to say, hey, I know the story. I know this. It's in me. I can just talk about this. You cut me open, I'm going to bleed this story. I know these things. I know who Moses is. That's why I hear Stephen saying here. I know who Moses is. Acts 7, 37, if you, you just look at verse 37, he's talking about Moses. He says, this is the Moses. He gives all of Moses' background, like his childhood, where he went to school, everything about, like he's like, I know all about Moses. And he says, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the same Moses, guys. He's saying, I'm not speaking against Moses. I'm saying what Moses said. There is someone coming who you cannot miss. Do not miss somebody that's coming. Do not miss them. And Stephen's saying, you're missing him. You have missed the prophet who came, who's like me, who your life depends on, and he says, "I know what the temple is. I know what the temple is." In Acts seven forty-eight and 50 through fifty, look at that. It's on the it's on the screen. It says he's talking about how they even came to have the the tabernacle. And he says, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made... He's quoting now the Bible, okay? He's quoting the Old Testament back to them, saying, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my my hand make all these things? He's just quoting the Bible back to them, saying, how can you be so confused about who Moses is and about who uh, what the temple is? You have totally confused what these things really are. I know who Moses is. You don't. I know what the temple is. You don't, is what this speech communicates. The things, now listen to me on this, because this has some kind of implication for you. The things that you're putting your faith in cannot And we're never meant to save you. The harness that you have strapped your life and you've been strapped into the roller coaster of life, that harness that you're using, the temple and the law, they're not going to keep you safe. They're not going to rescue you. They're not going to allow you into God's presence. And for you, now there's some real world, first world, or I mean real time implications for you in this, like, whatever it is that you are using, what what is it that you're using to strap yourself into this roller coaster of life? What is it that you're banking on, leaning on, trusting in? And there are some cultural Christian ways in which you can really bend and manipulate the scriptures to just be be, um, current day uh, laws for you to keep. The Holy Spirit, is what Stephen is saying, is pointing them to the fulfillment of the law, the once and for all sacrifice for their sins. And he, he, he gets cut off in the speech, but he moves on. He says, now when they heard these things, it says in verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They were enraged when he was talking about this. And they ground their teeth at him. Because he, he called One, he calls them stiff-necked people whose ears are clogged. They're not hearing what the Holy Spirit's saying, and their necks are too proud to yield to what God is saying through Jesus. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What Stephen is getting at here is that the Holy Spirit is pointing them not to a shadow, but to the substance, the tent not made with human hands, the place where Jesus is now. And Stephen looks at them and says, I can see him there now in the faith. Now, get this. Now, if you all of the people in this room were super ticked at me, if I was saying something that was just incredibly offensive to you that your whole now now like your whole way of salvation, your hope in this life, your faith is all built on something. Now, like may, maybe it's how 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 you perform religiously or the, you know, the the values that you hold to or the the money that you give or whatever it is that you have you know, built your life upon or uh, strapped yourself in with your, you know, argument for how, why it is that you're acceptable to God. If I sat here and told you that none of that, that the, all, all that according to the Bible that you believe is worthless, and you got super ticked at me, and you were enraged, and I could see you all kind of like coming at me a little bit, Stephen just in that moment says, Jesus is the one we're looking for Jesus is not in the tent made with human hands. Jesus is in heaven itself, and he himself is the one that will get us there. I can see him there right now. That's this moment we get. It's pretty intense. And, and so, what, hap- what happens is, uh, like, what, what, I guess what Stephen is saying, and you need to understand this is Stephen is just saying what the book of Hebrews would one day articulate. If the book of Hebrews, like if Stephen hadn't gotten killed in this next set of verses, I would think that he wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't even know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And and part of, as I was studying this, part of the reason why I think we don't know the author of the book of Hebrews is that if it was really well known, all the Jews would, would have just ran up and killed him. Because they would have hated what he was saying. Because the book of Hebrews just says what, what Stephen was saying. Hebrews 8, 1-2 says this. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. Earlier in Hebrews it says, a high priest who is worthy of more glory than Moses. Uh, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. That's the point. We have a high priest who is in the true tent. Stephen's just saying what the book of Hebrews would later on say, and there are consequences for faith like this. If you're going to live this life of faith in Jesus, you're actually going to not put your, your faith in something that you could earn or a set of approval that you, can, you could gain from other people. You, you're not going to put your, your weight or be harnessed in in this life by something that you can control, but you're actually going to just surrender the, all of that to be everything that I'm counting on. All of my faith is actually been rooted in Jesus. A life of faith like that has consequences to it because it's going to lead you to take steps of faith. And steps of faith are really not congruent with what the steps of this world want you to take. Steps of faith are going to look really weird to this world. So weird that it's going to bring about some things in your life. And so you can see that in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is called the hall of faith. So you just get to see a bunch of people living lives of faith and what happens to them. Okay, Hebrews 11, 32-38 through 38 says this. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets. He's talking about people who live lives of faith who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That's what this life of faith will get you, is all these victories Except he stops mid-sentence. He changes course to mid-verse. Verse 35, mid-verse. The examples go from what sounds like winning to what sounds a lot like losing. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. These are, these are Christians. These are, people, these, are, well, these are Old Testament people living by faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So it happens to these people. Taking steps of faith, some lived lives and it looked a lot like winning. Sometimes their faith stopped the mouth of a lion, which is pretty rad. I don't. I mean, I've never. I have actually pet a baby lion one time, and uh, just stopping his mouth would seem impressive to me. And that's a baby one, like a Simba, like early, very small. Okay, but sometimes these lives of faith just allowed you to get totally wrecked by a lion, it looked a lot like losing. And so did Stephen's end. That's why I called it an alternate ending. He got accused, he answered, and he had an alternate ending. He didn't have the ending that Peter had a couple of chapters earlier. Remember, Peter preached like the same sermon, and they were like, okay, Okay. man, well, we're just going to let you go. We're going to beat you up a little bit and let you go. Stephen got an alternate ending. Here it is in verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Ironically, he just accused them of not having ears to hear something. And they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, just so you put it in context, it wasn't like they threw pebbles at him and, you know, sent him to detention. They took him outside the city and they killed him. And so my question for you this morning would be, did Stephen lose here? Like really try to be there for just a moment. You're Stephen. You're, you're, you're full of faith and the spirit and all these things. You're living your life and now you get accused of this thing so you answer in one way and then, and then uh, you get dragged outside the city and you get killed for it. Did he Did he lose? Hebrews 12, I just feel like Stephen's life just walks along Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. You no, know, Stephen did not lose then. But, but here's, wh- wh- here's what I'm wondering. Did, he, did, he, did his kids lose? Did Stephen have kids? We just kind of automatically put him into this kind of like radical mid-20s space where it's like I'm sure he just was like living without anybody behind him. We don't know that. Did Stephen's kids lose? Did his fiance lose? Did his mom and dad lose that day? That's the thing that kills me. That's the thing that I struggle with. Andrew Sullivan might have a baby born during this service, so his wife might go into labor like right now. You know, our kids are like all around us. Did his kids lose? Was this a tragedy? There's this quote by Gavin Ortland, and I'm going to read it to you, and it's on the screen. It says, "As A character says in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, reflecting biblical teaching. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. If you are in Christ, you have, be, you have been eternally invincibilized. Sometimes, friends in this room, you, not people in the bo- not just you right here, sometimes your life is going to get whipped all around on this roller coaster that you're on. Sometimes you might feel like you are just barely hanging on. Maybe not today. Maybe today you're like, I'm breathing today. We got, you know, I'm, my head's not barely just above water. Maybe today you're in a stretch of time that things are pretty peaceful and things are okay. But sometimes, man, just sometimes you will be barely hanging on. And in that moment, what I want you to do is to learn to love your harness. Learn to really love that thing. I can tell you, I was on this Batman ride, and I loved my harness so much. I loved it. On every ride, actually, I came really, I was like, I just kind of love you, harness. You know, I just, and I appreciated them in that 45 seconds. I was like, I just really need you, you know. That harness If you choose it wisely, we'll get you home safely. And here's what I want you to hear for your kids, for your parents, for the loved ones in your life, for your best friends, for the people around you who would mourn and grieve and cry if what happened to you is what happened to Stephen. That's what's going to get them home safely too. The best way for me to get my kids home safely is to keep my eyes on the ones who will bring them home safely is to keep my eyes on him. That's the best way to get their eyes on him. Don't you know that little kids, they're just walking around you looking at the things you look at. You stand there on the street and you look up in the sky. People are going to stop and look up at the sky wondering what are you looking at, Dad? Stephen's kids, listen to me. If Stephen had kids, I'm just speculating. I don't know if he had kids. He doesn't even tell us anywhere if he had kids. But if he had kids, you know what they would never wonder? They would never wonder what their dad wanted most for them. Not Ever. I I like, in writing this, was just wondering, would I trade 50 more years with my girls for 5 trillion more years with them? No, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade 50 years with them for 5 trillion years with them. Five trillion years around the throne of glory, drinking of the water that truly satisfies, laughing from the depths of an eternal soul, singing the very best of songs and playing the very best of games, knowing the one who at, at whose right hand is pleasure forevermore. I wouldn't trade 50 for five trillion. And that's why I think Jesus is so very concerned about his disciples' fate. What is the rebuke he gives him all the time? You of little religious diligence? No. You of little intellect? No. You of little faith? That's why First Corinthians 13 is so interesting. It says faith, hope, and love. These things are really important, but love is the greatest of them. You know why? You don't need faith in heaven. It's just for now. It's just the harness. We're going to get out of it. We won't need it one day. And so what you need, church, what you need, listen to me, right where you are, you may think, why did I even come today? What am I doing here? Because God wants you to know that what you need today is a see through eyes of faith and walk toward your finish line. See through eyes of faith and today take whatever the next step of faith is towards your finish line. And I can promise you that no matter what that step is, it will not be tragic. Jim Elliott said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not tragic. Walking in faith, and just so you know, will mean living a life that looks more and more like Jesus. And so you shouldn't be surprised when you face what Jesus faced. But you also should not doubt that you will arrive where Jesus arrived. Stephen did not lose his race. He finished his race. Stephen did not lose his race. He finished his race. And he finished it in faith. Look at what he sees. He's standing there looking at people who are all about to kill him. Here's what he says. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The thing that probably got him killed right there. But there's a subtle difference in what Stephen sees than what we see almost anywhere else in the Bible. Did you hear it? Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. Everywhere else you see Jesus. What is he doing? He's seated at the right hand. But in this moment, Jesus stood up. And I actually think that Stephen is seeing what we will see one day. I think that when your race is finished in faith, I think that Stephen is seeing what you will see. Jesus standing next to the Father to welcome us home. Jesus standing at the end of an aisle watching his bride come towards him. You ever seen a groom sitting at the end of an aisle in a wedding? Never seen that. I see him standing there. And I think that's a lot like what Jesus is doing in Stephen's moment. And I think that as we take steps of faith just one at a time toward the end of your race, that you take them in faith that that's what you will see. We're going to sing this song in just a moment, and it's called You're Beautiful. It was actually the song that was sung at my wedding as my wife walked toward me, and it's the song I I just really love because I think it captures this moment that we're talking about, Stephen's moment, your one-day moment, okay? And the lyrics to this song, they say this, I see you there hanging on a tree, You bled, and then you died, and then you rose again for me. Now you are sitting on your heavenly throne. Soon we will be coming home. When we arrive at eternity's shores, where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together, and we'll sing. You're beautiful. What I want so badly for you this morning, right where you are, in the midst of whatever it is that God has you walking through, is that he would give you faith to see Jesus just as he is today. And that he would give you faith to see just who you are to him. But that's what you need. You need a harness that will never fail you. And that's the only one church. What I want you to do now is just take a moment and pray because we're actually going to receive communion here in just a few minutes. And so if you guys want to come on up. um, We're going to receive communion. And uh, I would encourage you to not let this just be a time uh, that you go through a ritual, that you go through and act and kind of just go through the motions. And so before we do that, just take a moment. And and I'm going to read these lyrics back over you. and, And in that moment, just let... Man, May God give you the imagination, the eyes to see somehow of where you are in your race and what your finish line looks like and who's waiting for you there. Take a minute and think about that. Think about where you are in your race. Talk to God about that. Maybe what's really hard about your race right now. What's really boring about your race right now. It's really frustrating about your race right now. take a minute and just remember what the truth of communion is. Communion is not magical. It's a a remembrance that Jesus gave us. It's this opportunity to week in and week out just receive this meal, this broken bread and poured out blood. Uh, This broken body and poured out blood. Broken bread and this juice. And it's just to give you this real tangible way of remembering why you can even approach the throne that Jesus stands by that Jesus sits upon why can you even approach it not because you've done well enough this week not because you'll do well enough ever he knows your past he knows your present and he knows your future all the ways that you're going to fail and he has paid it in full through his broken body and poured out blood and so this communion that you will receive by faith saying yes I believe that and that alone will harness me in to glory that's what you're receiving today kiddos, um, and you're not sure if they have trusted in Jesus, then that's a great time to have a conversation about that with them, not necessarily a great time to jump into communion. Um, and so it's a great time to look and remember, show them what that looks like if you have kiddos. And if you're not sure where you really are with Jesus and you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk about that with you after this gathering. You don't have to uh, jump into communion today either. The right place to jump into this whole thing is really through Baptism. That's kind of the starting line of this whole faith journey. All right, right where you are, um, we're just going to, the way this whole, that, that works, that communion packet that you got there, you take off the top of that, and there's bread there. And I love this. I love that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, and he's the one who's finished the race. And now he's given us just these uh, little installments of these moments to remember, to energize you to keep walking on this race of faith. I just love that, that, uh, that what you need is not uh, more commitment to being great or, a, you know, more. More white knuckling to make sure you can change and transform yourself. You need to deeply remember the grace that you have and how he got that for you. He got it for you. He got it by getting his body broken. And that's what that bread is. That little cracker is a picture, reminder of his broken body on your behalf. And so receive that, church, the broken body of Jesus for you. And then he did something that just seemed in the moment like losing like the greatest most tragic loss of all of history is that the blood of jesus the king of glory was poured out on a nowhere hill outside of jerusalem just just in the middle of nowhere just out there by himself dying getting his blood poured out but that blood would secure your spot in glory So he says, remember my blood that was poured out. That's the covenant that you have with me is my blood. So receive the poured out blood of Jesus on your behalf, church. Heavenly Father, where there is doubt lingering in the hearts of your people today, would you remove it? Just supernaturally, would you meet them in that moment and give them more faith? God, uh, we, like this man who you encountered on this earth, we say, we believe. Would you help our unbelief? We have faith. Would you give us more? Would you give us enough uh, just to keep it taking another step with you, Jesus? Wherever that is going to lead us, whatever our road holds, would you give us courage to walk down it, knowing that you have walked down it ahead of us? Would you give us that today, Father? Would you help us now to respond with all of the worship in our hearts, with all the noise we can make through our mouths, with all of the joy that we have in us because of this truth. Would you help us to respond and sing these truths back to you, Father? In church, I would tell you today, don't sing about God. Sing to him. Don't talk about him. Talk to him. Don't respond generally. Respond specifically. He can hear you and he cares, okay? So sing to him.